When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The FT. From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. The waiting is nearly over, but it's about to begin again. After weeks of keen anticipation about a September rate rise by the Federal Reserve, we are now a few days away from the central bank's crucial meeting. But if, as seems likely, the Fed puts off the decision to hike, then is the world about to embark on another anxious round of clock-watching for the next time the opportunity arises? Welcome again to Hard Currency, the weekly FT podcast covering Forex the world's biggest market. I'm Roger Blitz, and it should not be forgotten that the Fed is by no means the only central bank meeting to discuss rate directions. But to what extent are they at the mercy of the Fed's deliberations? Not just next week, but the month after, and month after that, and on and on. With me to discuss how the world views the Fed is Stephen Englander, Global Head of G10 FX Strategy at Citigroup. Steve, first off, straight up, your expectations about what the Fed are going to be doing next week. Full disclosure, at the beginning of this week, I thought the Fed was going to hike. I assigned a 55 to 60% probability in line with what our economists um, have been arguing. Williams' comments early this, this week... This is Williams, the... Uh, the head of the San Francisco Fed. Yeah. He's a hawk. He previously talked about two hikes. And his expansion of the definition of data dependence to include international financial conditions, the dollar volatility, coming from the hawkish side made me think that the the Fed is going to give it a pass this time around. So it's what what do you think the probability now is? It's virtually what a 10 to 15% now. Well, you know a bit more than that, but they, because they they may be tempted to try the hop option of a, of a dovish hike, but I I'd still say overall probably about 35%. Okay. Just help me through how other central banks you know, view the world through the prism of the Fed's moves. I mean, we've had decisions so far this month. I mean, September is a big month for central bank meetings, but we've had decisions from the likes of Australia, Brazil, the Eurozone, Canada, New Zealand cut rates uh, late last night. So w- what do you think about how they see the world? There are a couple of dimensions through which they look at it. One is that if you're a high beta currency, a currency whose, uh, country whose asset markets are historically volatile, which includes most of EM, you're afraid of the consequences of what the dollar would do. And now in, uh, in, 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 in the aftermath of a Fed hike, and, and now that China has decoupled itself from the dollar, the, I think the Asian central banks are particularly worried that if the Fed hikes and the dollar appreciates, China will decouple even more. And the same kinds of volatility we, we saw in August will recur. Now, if you're the Bank of Japan or the ECB, very, they have a lot of control over their bond market and their asset markets. I, I think you're saying, well, you know, if the Fed hikes, uh, euro maybe goes down to 107, 108, you know, some upward pressure on dollar yen. That's not so bad. We'll take care of our bond market. The consequences aren't there. And I'd say that, you know, maybe some emerging economies that are kind of detached from China and Asia kind of are indifferent, mm. you know, to, to whether the Fed moves or not. But I'd say by and large, it, it's a question of how strong your economy is. 
Do you have an inflation problem? You know, or and how afraid are you of the consequences okay. of a Fed hike? I mean, looking at some of the near neighbours like Canada or Mexico, say, I mean, Canada is, seems to be in lockstep with with uh, what the Fed does. I, I think it would be very convenient for Canada if the Fed hiked and dollar cad went to one thirty five. Mexico, you know, I, I think they feel they can live with it, but the. Again, I, I think that their export sector is doing much better than the Canadian export sector. And, and, you know, the currency weakness has done them some good, even though there's obviously some negative consequences as well. OK. And, and just looking at the, you know, not so much the decision, but the commentary that goes around it. I mean, you know, before between now and the Fed meeting, we'll have the likes of the UK, Russia, Malaysia, Japan, Switzerland, all meeting, all, you know, wondering whether to talk hawkishly or dovishly. I mean, again, you know, are they? in a kind of a wait-and-see mode? Will they try and hold the line as close as possible? I, I think pretty much they're in wait-and-see, you know, especially the, the you know, the uh, G10 countries that are waiting. Nobody has a particular inflation problem in G10. And same as with Canada, it, it would be convenient for the UK if the Fed hiked and then the uh, Bank of England could hike within a couple of months. But it's not essential. Uh, to what extent is this different from previous rate hike cycles in the in the way that everybody is looking over each other's shoulder? I think that there's much more unwillingness to stand out. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I, even if you don't admit that there's a currency war going on, I think there's a consciousness that nobody wants to be the currency that, that appreciates. And if the dollar is the, yeah. the currency that goes up, you know, thank God, but not n- <laughs> not mine. The other part, and I think which is a real issue for, you know, both in the U.S. and and outside, is that this is the first time where we're talking about the beginning of the Fed cycle, but we have absolutely no idea how fast it's going to be, how long it's going to be, how how steep the rate increases are going to be. Well, exactly. I mean, to, to, to that point, we almost have a mood of get on with it. I mean, the FT reports, reports today that uh, some EM central banks are actually advocating the Fed to go on and hike. We've got amongst them Indonesia, Peru, Mexico, India, which is, you know, in contrast to the likes of the IMF and the World Bank, which have been warning about the threat to EMs from a hike. So what do you make of that? It's as if they know that their currencies are weakening or going to be weakening, whatever the weather. I think there's also a sense that if the, perhaps if the Fed hikes and if it's they use very benign language that the markets may calm down if they give an explicit indication that they're not going to hike for a long time, that kind of uncertainty over, over you know pace and direction will be reduced. It's also possible in some cases that they don't expect them to hike, but they they, they sort of get brownie points for for you know making the statement that they think they can deal with it. But they do face weaker currencies in in the whatever the, whatever the circumstances is is that a place they they now pretty much feel they're resigned to, or actually they might even be comfortable with, given that they want to improve their uh, their export markets. The thing is, I think a lot of emerging markets are, are depreciating together. So it helps their exporters. It puts downward pressure though on, on commodity prices and, and, and the terms of trade. I think that the there is this realization that until we get clear evidence that China is stabilizing, until we have some clear dimension to what the Fed is doing, that their currencies are likely to be under pressure. And as you say, resignation perhaps. And again, just you mentioned China, but to what extent is the People's Bank of China watching 
what the Fed does. After all, it went ahead and devalued. It must be thinking it would like to devalue again. I mean, is there almost a, a kind of a bit of a political dimension that they don't want to upset the US? After all, the, the, there's a, the, the president's going to be going over to the White House in, uh, in a short while. So there's almost like there's a political moment here that it has to be sensitive about. Well, I, I think there are two political moments that they're sensitive about. Obviously, the president, uh, president's visit is one of them. And they'll be making their SDR p- pitch to the IMF in October. Yes. So what they'd like to do is present a CNY that is responsive to market forces but doesn't cause global volatility. And so I, I think that the idea that if the Fed takes a pass, the upward pressure or the downward pressure on CNY will be relieved somewhat. And that would allow them to make minor adjustments to CNY or let the market make minor adjustments to CNY without having a big directional move with its spillover effects. That's very attractive. Yes. And and the extent to which the market is actually now moved on to maybe October, but more likely December is, is uh, do we just need to get past next week or are, are we already there in that uh, mindset? Well, it's clear the market has moved on from September. You know, probably yeah. no more than 30 or 35 percent probability of a hike is, is, is priced in. You know, the question is, if you give a nod to October, how much will the market believe you? Because, you, you, you know, you, you gave a nod in July. You said all we need is somewhat better employment data, but that turned out not to be the case. So I, I think that the, you know, the markets will, will pay a lot of attention to what they do. They will still pay attention to what they say. Less so than in the past. They'll pay a lot of attention to the dots because the dots is kind of are, are the expectation, you know, three months before the end of the year about where 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 things are going to be. Okay, I mean, just the perception of the markets towards the U.S. and the dollar has is actually evolved over the year, hasn't it? I mean, do you agree? I mean, the dollar strength was the the key thing at the beginning of the year, driven by optimism about the U.S. economy. Now it appears that any dollar strength is being driven by weakness elsewhere, particularly in emerging markets. And, and I think that's the fear that's there. And I, th- I think it's, it's something that the Fed has become conscious of, that in March, they were doing the risk return analysis based on the impact of a stronger dollar on the US economy. Now they're doing the risk return based on the impact of the stronger dollar on the rest of the world, and how ultimately it might feed back into the US through, you know, financial market uh, channels or directly through, um, you know, a much weaker global economy. So do we want a we still want a strong US economy I mean the world does doesn't we I mean when the dollar was strong it was you know as you say it was perceived as a negative for the US economy you know that was impacting on corporate earnings and exporters but now it's relatively weaker it's perceived that the US economy is it's it's a reflection of how the US economy is having to face up to weakness elsewhere so it almost asks the question is there ever going to be the right place for for the dollar to be, or even for the US economy to be. It's, it's a very narrow, fine window. I, I think the world wants a strong dollar when there's strong growth abroad. And the dollar can keep commodity, strong dollar keeps commodity prices down, it reduces some of the inflation pressures that they face. I, I think in, in the current world, what we're, the sweet spot is a US economy that's kind of sluggish. Not enough where the Fed has to debate what the next monetary ease is going to do, but where the hikes are few and far between. O- overall, though, I-, I think that the dollar strength right now, it's a G 
three, G4 against the rest of the world, G3 kind of welcome it, I think, because they see themselves as, you know, selling a few more planes, selling a few more cars, selling a bit of this and that. The rest of the world sees it as a driver of, of, you know, sort of extreme volatility potentially and and would not welcome it. And how does the the Fed convey all this? I mean, it can't really advocate a sweet spot being a sluggish economy, though. You may want the sweet spot, but you you know you you certainly can't control it. And again, you know the the definition of a strong U.S. economy isn't what it used to be. You, you can easily have a potential growth rate about one and a half percent. So even the current growth of about two to two and a half percent is is above potential. And I think what's important for the rest of the world is that we would think the U.S. is doing great if it grew three percent. But that half percentage point difference, which would be very material for the U.S., would be de, de minimis for for everyone mm. else. So I, I think what the Fed is going to do is, is, is sort of try and convey this path where they're tightening because they are afraid of the next downturn and what the first, you know, what they're going to do when they have so few tools available to them. But I, I think that short term, they, they are conscious of just how little it took in in terms of a Chinese move to really unravel the markets, uh, you know, at least temporarily. Yes. I mean, wow, it's amazing how they, they've got themselves caught, tied up tied up in knots, haven't they? I mean, is that their own fault, do you think? Or um, is, is that just the, the, the way that this, this global economy really looks right now? It just simply isn't moving fast enough and, and wide enough. Well, in, in some ways, you might say it's 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 a good thing. Or and and the good thing is this that right now, whether you're looking at the Bank of England or the Fed, and certainly the ECB, they have no inflation issues. So nothing forces them to be hawkish to ignore what's happening in the rest of the world. And if, you know, they can say, look, us being relatively dovish and and very very shallow in terms of any kind of rate hike price, it's consistent with what the rest of the world needs and doesn't endanger our domestic targets. If it ever was the case that we began to see, you know, core inflation pick up, that the labor markets tightened so that some of that discretion was taken out of their hands, we would be in a situation where we could see the volatility, but they wouldn't have the ability to modulate their policy moves in order to deal with that volatility because they would be clearly facing, you know, the the need to, to sort of stabilize domestic inflation and domestic activity. But as for next week, you are saying it's going to be no with an awful lot of commentary around it uh, to say why no and, when, and how long no. And how long no. Whether it's just no, in, you know, but probably October because we, we think the U.S. economy yes. is doing just great or no because the downside risks have grown so much through the international channel and financial channel <laughs> that it's, it's basically on hold till we're convinced things stabilize. Okay, let's see how they how they put that my thanks to steve englander of citigroup uh, keep up to date with the latest forex news and analysis on our website ft.com forward slash fx do email me on roger.blitz that's b-l-i-t-z at ft.com for any thoughts you have on fx and uh, or this podcast we'll be back next week on the day the fed makes its big decision don't forget to join us for that goodbye If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our World Weekly podcast, which is presented by me, Gideon Rachman, the FT's chief foreign policy commentator. Each week, I discuss one of the main political stories of the week with the FT's overseas correspondents and experts. And you can find our latest show at ft.com slash podcasts. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. From Wednesdays.